how would you describe your feet? On second thought, rather than just blurting that out, why don't you just talk to, tell one of your neighbors uh, maybe a little bit about, or maybe, you know, just go ahead and take your shoes off and just show your, uh, your feet to you. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. Hold them. Don't. don't. I, um, I uh, am wearing my favorite shoes because it was either this or get a pedicure this week in order to prepare for this week's sermon, and I wasn't going to do that. So, uh, uh, any, But some of you guys, if you want to do that, that's, that's great. But I, I don't know, if, if I was going to describe my feet, I'm not going to do that today, but if I was going to describe my feet to you, one word that I would not use would be the word beautiful. Not, not going to happen. I think there there are a lot of words that I could use to describe my feet, but that would not be one of them. Feet are usually uh, are not usually one of the first parts of our bodies that come to mind when we think of beauty. Well, maybe some of you and you've been to uh, to get your pedicure and all those kinds of. I mean, feet are more for function though than for looks, right? I mean, and some people it's like no feet, yeah, right? Maybe that's you. Feet are really one of the hardest working parts of our bodies. I mean, uh, feet take an enormous amount of abuse. Most of us have to use our feet thousands of times a day. I mean, we are, many of you have a little app on your phone to make sure that you're walking at least 10,000 steps a day, right? And if you're not, then it yells at you. And uh, then you feel, it's one more way to feel guilty, right? Oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't walk 10,000. Feet are important. Feet are necessary. Feet are vital. Beautiful? I, I don't know. Today we're, we're moving into chapter 10 of uh, the book of Romans, where the Apostle Paul is, uh, is writing this letter to this church in Rome. And we've been, uh, been walking through Romans. If you're catching us in the middle of it, um, I'll just bring you up to speed. This is a, a book in the Bible, but really it's a letter. Uh, the missionary Paul wrote this letter to this church uh, in Rome about 20 years or so after Jesus uh, uh, died and rose from the dead. And so uh, Paul had never been there. He hasn't, had met some of them, but most of them he hadn't met yet. And he's writing this letter to, uh, to these Romans. Uh, uh, people in Rome. Uh, Rome was uh, in charge of everything, and uh, uh, the, the Roman Empire was in charge of everything. Rome was the hub where it all where it all started, where the leadership was, and everything. And and this church existed in Rome. So we've been talking a lot about uh, all the uh, the theology and all the things that Paul believed about God and and how this whole life with God works and all that. And we came up right on Easter Sunday, we came up to uh, uh, the, the end of chapter 8 and we just celebrated the fact that Jesus died for us, that God is for us, that, that he loves us, that he's provided all this so we can have forgiveness and, and eternal life with him. And then chapter 9, and I told you a couple weeks ago, chapter 9, 10, and 11 are kind of this subsection of this letter that uh, we're where Paul kind of turns a corner and he's, he's dwelling for a while on the fact that his fellow, uh, fellow men, fellow women, the, uh, the, the, those that call themselves Jews, those that were in his uh, cultural heritage, uh, most of them weren't really coming around to this whole idea of Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, still caught up in all the laws of the Old Testament and hoping that, that, that if they followed all the laws, then that would get them on God's good side. And, and Paul said, you know what, it just doesn't work like that anymore because Jesus has come. Because of Jesus, Paul has said, anyone who believes can have the hope of eternal life, not just you uh, special uh, people, chosen people of God. It's, it's good news, Paul says. Uh, Jesus, God's son, son, has come. He has died. He rose from the dead. He paved the way for our forgiveness. Uh, we all are sinful. 
We are destined for hell, but God has provided a way for us to experience salvation. It's good news, not only to be experienced for ourselves, but also to be shared. And so we're in the middle of that section in Romans chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 9. Paul says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they, can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written. Here's where the red chucks come in. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This passage tells us what we're supposed to do with the good news of Jesus. First off, uh, I want to emphasize that, first off, we need to believe it. We've got to believe it for ourselves. There is good news uh, that, uh, that Jesus has come, and we have to believe it. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Paul has gone uh, page after page explaining our sinful condition, emphasizing the fact that we have no hope of overcoming sin. We are guilty and, and we will be eternally separated from God if we die in our sin. But because God loves us, because Jesus was obedient, because God is greater than sin, because Jesus has overcome sin and death on our behalf, because God is for us, We can be saved, but we have to believe that. We have to believe it in our hearts. It's not just this thing that we hear out there, this thing that the preacher talks about, or this thing that that maybe we're trying to grapple with in the pages of our Bible. We have to believe it. So what does it look like to believe in something? Here's kind of a working definition, I guess. But belief is accepting something as true and then acting based on that truth. You came in here today, and you probably didn't think about it, but you accepted as true that the chair that you are sitting in was going to hold you. And then you acted on that truth, and when I said, you may be seated, you sat down, right? You, you believed that it was going to hold you, and then you, you acted on that belief. For years, people believed that the world was flat, and so they lived as if that were true, right? They didn't venture very far from home because they might... Fall off the edge, right? And then uh, 1492, right? Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He believed that the world was round. And if he headed out this way, he might end up back around the other side someday. And so he headed out and acted on that belief. If you believe something enough, if you believe it in your heart, you, you, not only do you, you think it's true, but you're going to act on that, on that uh, belief. Of course, you can have misguided beliefs. You can believe something with all of your heart and, and be wrong. I was reminded of a little poem this week that has been posted in chemistry classes uh, probably in years gone by. I don't know if it still is. Uh, Go ahead and put that up, Kevin. Alas for little Willie, we'll ne'er see Willie Moore. What he believed was H2O was H2SO4. 
The three of you that know what H2SO4 is just chuckled. Uh, sulfuric acid. So uh, anyway, that's a little geek humor for uh, for those of us that uh, some of you were tracking with that. That's all right. So you can believe something, but if you're if you believe that it's uh, it's the wrong, you can believe something with all your heart, but you can believe in the wrong thing. Just because you believe doesn't mean it's true, but Paul says and has been saying throughout this entire book, there is nothing more true, nothing can be more true than the resurrection of Jesus. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. He has provided for our forgiveness. So the first question we come to as we look at this passage, do you believe it? Do I really believe this? Do I really believe what Paul has been talking about in Rome? Do I really believe what the, do I really believe that God, the God of the universe that we've sung about this morning, that we, we've uh, prayed to this morning, that we read about, do I really believe that God is who he says he is and that he has provided for my salvation, that Jesus has come? And paid the penalty for my sin. He has died my death on the cross. And he has been raised to new... Do I believe? And if I believe it, am I living my life as though I believe it? The first thing we have to settle before we get any further. The first thing we have to settle. Do I believe it? What do I do with this good news? Got to believe it. The second thing, Paul actually mentions it first, but this, the second thing I think we, uh, that, that we do, he says we've got to declare it. Not only do I believe it, but I've got to declare it. Uh, as you know, this, this letter was written to the uh, Christian church in ancient Rome. Rome was, uh, as I said, the epicenter of power for that day. And the leader of the Roman Empire, uh, they called him Caesar, right? He wasn't just a salad, he was the leader, right? And he was, he's the, uh, the, 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 the supreme leader of the day. They didn't call him king, uh, they, or president, it was Caesar. And he was really, it wasn't just seen as a leader, he was seen as God. And, and they, they really encouraged worship of Caesar. Uh, they, they would greet each other with, uh, with a, a phrase like, Hail Caesar. Uh, and uh, someone would respond back, Hail Caesar, or they would say, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. They might greet each other with that, uh, and then they might say goodbye with that, well, see you later, Hail Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And they would, uh, that was just what they did. They would, they would judge or, or uh, determine whether you were loyal to the, to the empire or not by making sure that you said, Caesar is Lord. There were uh, Christians who were killed uh, in, in days later, because they refused to utter that simple phrase, Caesar is Lord, because they were not going to, to worship Caesar over God. So you can see this, this, uh, this verse that, um, in, in verse 9, Paul says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord. We might say, well, anybody could say that. This was a big deal for the church in Rome, to, for them to go around saying Jesus is Lord, because what they were supposed to say was Caesar is Lord. And so if they were saying Jesus is Lord, they were saying that, 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 that uh, you know what, I'm, I'm loyal to God more than I'm loyal to Caesar, because there can only be one Lord. You can't have multiple Lords just one. In the Greek, uh, Lord means supernatural master of all. Well, you're not going to have seven supernatural masters of all, right? There's, there's one. Uh, a supernatural master over everything. It's, it's an all or nothing proposition. You don't swear allegiance to more than one Lord. It's an impossible. There's only one. I've heard it said this way. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. 
So we need to believe in Jesus and, and, uh, and, and live like it, right? We believe it in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, but we also make that declaration. We declare his lordship over our lives. We, we, we pledge allegiance to God over everything else. It's, it's a public declaration. The word declare is not something that we say in a whisper. You don't declare something. You don't, Jesus is Lord. That's not a declaration. That's a whisper. When you declare something, it's, it's public for everyone. Usually it's, it's uh, with a raised voice and you're shouting out. There is no question in, in Paul's mind as he's saying, oh, what does it take? What do we do with this good news? Well, I've got to believe it in your heart, but you can't just keep it to yourself. You've got to declare it. You've got to let other people know. It's got to be seen in your life. There must be no question where your allegiance lies. Once again, Paul is, is, is highlighting. He's, I don't know, he's, he's circling, he's underlining, he's proclaiming, especially to these Jews, his, his fellow, uh, uh, fellow Jews, the, uh, the, the chosen people, the, the ones that aren't coming around. He's, he's trying to emphasize one more time. This is, this is not just for you guys and not just for the Gentiles, those non-Jews. This is for everyone. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe it. Declare it. Jesus is Lord. What do we do with this good news? The good news of Jesus. Jesus has come. Uh, God has loved us. He's for us. He's provided uh, Jesus, his son. He's uh, died on the cross. He's taken our place. We are justified. It's just as if I never sinned. I, I stand before God uh, redeemed. I'm called to a new life with him. It's My old life is gone. Now my new life and I can walk. This is good news. What do I do with it? Well, I've got to believe it and I've got to declare it. It's going to be public. I can't live anymore like that because now this has happened. What do I do with this good news? Believe it. Declare it. But we can't just stop there. We also have to share it. Believe it, declare it, and share it. Verse 14, Paul goes into this weird little section, and you've probably heard it before. Uh, it ends with that whole beautiful feet thing. Uh, he's asking these rhetorical questions, and it's kind of almost this backwards argument, highlighting the fact that, that if anyone is going to come to faith in Jesus, they have to hear the good news from someone. Someone with red chucks on. No, someone with beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. <laughs> It's just a word picture. He's actually quoting the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the prophet Isaiah. Um, the feet aren't really the issue here, right? I think you're probably tracking with that. It's, it's, not, it's not the feet. Uh, it's the message that the messenger is bringing. And so his feet are beautiful because of the good news that he's proclaiming. If he had bad news, his feet would be ugly, I guess, right? We wouldn't want to see that guy. We wouldn't want uh, uh, him to, uh, we would not want to highlight that, that he has come. But because he has good news, it, it, it's, it, everything is beautiful. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's awesome news. Uh, no one will be able to appreciate that beautiful good news if it's not shared. It has to be shared. And you and I are the messengers. We've been sent. 
Some people have read this passage and, and, and they, they might read into it that Paul isn't really talking about all of us being sent, but that maybe there's some certain professional people uh, that, that, uh, that, that are the ones that are sent, these preachers and teachers. Maybe, maybe it's just me and I, I'm just preaching to myself and, and you all are saying, yeah, go. Uh, it's because because you you've got the red checks on, and so you're going to go out and you're going to you're going to preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of the preacher! But throughout Scripture, we just can't deny the fact that that uh, uh, throughout Scripture, it's not just the professional Christians, so to speak. It's not just the uh, certain people that were uh, that were sent, but over and over and over again, it's embedded in Scripture that we all are part of sharing the good news. John 17, 18 says, as Jesus is praying and he said, God, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says he'll be with us through it all. Over and over and over again, there's no getting around it. You and I, all of us, are part of the team that has been sent. We have a message. We have the good news of Jesus, and it has to be shared. Never in history has this been more possible in this day of technology and global connection where we can uh, literally uh, pick up the phone or, or sign in on the computer or get on Skype or FaceTime and literally talk to someone uh, halfway around the world. Never before has this been more possible to share the good news. I was talking to somebody this morning. They were talking about, you know, the marathon runner and, and the first marathon. Uh, you know, the guy was, uh, uh, guy, uh, was bringing a message, uh, great news from the battle. And he, it was 26.2 miles as the, the, the distance that he ran. And when he got there, he shared his good news. Um, and then he died. But, um, that is a warning to all of us that run that maybe we shouldn't overdo it. But, um, but he he shared that uh, shared that good news and and he was he was lifted high because of, I mean that that message the message made all the difference. We these days don't have to run 26 miles in order to get a message somewhere. We can type a little email and and hit send, or we can pick up the phone and call. We, it's never been easier, and you have connections probably know people that don't just live near you but but uh you know a, a city away or a state away or or even in another country we have we have connections with people and and Paul says that we're sent to take this good news wherever we go so are we supposed to start jetting around the world and and start sending uh sending messages and going places and we're all missionaries uh going elsewhere well maybe uh one one thing we can do and one thing a lot of us do well is that God can flow through our lives by letting our finances fund others that go 
share the good news, right? Next week, we're going to be uh, focused on, on uh, the world evangelism uh, through the Church of the Nazarene and the, the missions in the Church of the Nazarene. And, and uh, many of you give... Uh, uh, Above and beyond, to uh, you've made a faith promise, and uh, and and through that, over this cor- the course of this year, you have been funding the World Evangelism Fund, where we send out over seven hundred missionaries in our denomination uh, and support them and the ministry that they do. And that's that's a great way to send the gospel message, to spread the message. We literally participate in bringing the good news through our finances. As I read this, though, I think it means more than just giving. Uh, Giving money, I, I, that's part of it, and it's a great, important thing. It's, it's more personal than, than that. Sharing the good news is more personal than that. God is always at work all over the world, and the, the vehicle that he uses most is the church, us, the people of God. A um, man by the name of Eddie Gibbs said it this way once, it's not that the church of God has a mission, it's that the God of mission has a church. We are the tool of God in the world. Uh, The mission of God in the world is our mission as a church and as followers of God. And since God is working uh, throughout the world, he calls or sends each of us to specific places for specific purposes. And most of the time, God uses us to reach the world right where we are. It starts there, right? Sure, we, we might, we might uh, venture out or, or go, on a, go on a trip somewhere or be called to a certain place and certainly God calls uh, missionaries to go and, and, and all of those things. But most of the time, for the vast majority of us, what we should be doing is spreading the good news over the back fence or in the front yard or down the street or in the grocery store or at work or at school. I, I was in a musical in high school. Um, part of the song—I don't—I don't remember the song, the whole song, but part of it said, "I'd rather go to Africa than Tremont High." <laughs> I'd rather go halfway across around the world uh, and and be a missionary than really bring up my faith with the people that <laughs> that know me, right? And sometimes that makes us more nervous. Now, I have I have participated in in and led mission trips. Uh, to inner city ministries and to the Rocky Mountains and in Appalachia. Uh, I've gone to, to Germany, to Canada, to Mexico. Uh, uh, many of you have done a lot of those things too. We're organizing a work and witness trip that just, what, uh, six or seven weeks from now we'll be heading to, to Michigan, which is a, a whole other country in itself. Um, but um, we'll, be, we'll be going to Jackson, Michigan and serving there, and, and we're excited about that. But None of those trips, going out there somewhere, none of those mean anything if when we get back we don't represent Christ in the workplace and the school and the neighborhood where we live day in and day out. Throughout Scripture, God called and used many different people. We can read, oh man, there, it's, it's, uh, it's a great assortment of people. Different ethnicities and backgrounds and socioeconomic status. People of different giftedness and ability or lack of ability. But God sent them all with specific marching orders. One thing I think we push back on is that we don't think that we're, we're qualified to, to bring them in. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I, I, you know, have you seen my life? Have you seen my There's no way I would have anything good to say. Well, let's, let's watch this. Maybe that'll push back on that a little bit. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. 
Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, and so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. There were two cows grazing along a highway when a, uh, a tank truck uh, carrying milk went by. And, uh, and on the truck in big red letters was a sign that said, Pasteurize, homogenize, standardize, vitamin A added. And one cow turned to the other and said, Kind of makes you feel a little inadequate, doesn't it? Sometimes we look at what we feel God might be calling us to do and we may feel a little inadequate. There's no way we could ever do something like that. But, but God, I've heard this for years, uh, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And you are called, you are sent with a beautiful message. I love the story of Moses, especially the story of, of God sending him. Uh, he's standing there on that mountainside, uh, the, the bush is burning, and Moses is coming up with one excuse after another after another why he can't do what God is calling him to do. And, and God wouldn't have it. And at one point in Exodus chapter 4, God asks Moses, what is that in your hand? Moses didn't have much in his hand. It was just a stick. It was a staff, a simple shepherd's staff. And God said, throw it down. And God did a miracle with it. He turned it into a snake. I, I know what you're thinking. If you had a stick that turned into a snake, people would probably listen to you too, right? Moses had a staff because he was a shepherd. If Moses had been an accountant, he might have been holding a calculator or a laptop, right? What do you have in your... Oh, I've got this calculator. If he'd been in the NBA, he probably would have had a basketball in his hand. I think you're catching on. What do you have in your hand? What are your strengths and weaknesses, your personalities, your giftedness, your relationship, your, your, your job, your, your hobbies? What is it that God can take and use to bring his message to others? What do you have in your hand? Throw it down. That's a, that's a key part. There's a whole sermon right there. But, but uh, God says, what do you have in your hand, Moses? Throw it down. In other words, you're not in control of that anymore. I am, and I want to do something with it. There's no possible way you could ever do, it with it, do, that, do anything with it like what I'm going to do. What is that in your hand? God says, let me use it. Let me use you to be a messenger bringing good news. 
You've been sent. You are called. You've been sent. What, what does it mean to be sent? Just a couple, a couple random thoughts, I guess. Uh, a few random thoughts as I, as I think of this week about, uh, about being sent. First of all, it's not our message, right? The, the, because we've been sent, it's not that I have to make something up or, or uh, I'm just carrying this good news from the sender, the one who has sent me. I don't have to come up with something new and innovative. I just need to share this good news that I've already believed and I'm, I'm declaring with all of my heart. Uh, then I'm just going to carry that. What I've experienced from God, I'm going to take that to others. Uh, another thing about being sent, you are representing the sender. I, I, one of the passages I read there talked about us being an ambassador. Uh, if you think about uh, in politics between countries and ambassadors, uh, the, the ambassador is the person on the ground in the other country that's representing all the interests of the, uh, of the, the sending country, right? And so that person represents and needs to represent well uh, the, uh, the, the, the country from which they came. If they, if they, uh, if they, uh, aren't living up to the, the qualities and the, 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 the requirements and the, the culture of that, that they've come from, then they're not representing well. And I think our lives, as, if we're going to be sent, if we're going to go uh, as, as God has sent us, and rep- we, we not only share a message, but we represent him by how we live and what we, what we do, what we say. We have to be faithful, loyal representatives of the God who has sent us. If we don't, we lose our credibility and the message gets lost somewhere. And so part of being sent is, is being loyal to the sender. Another thing about being sent, you are not God's public relations agent. I think sometimes we, we think we need to make God look good or to, uh, to build up some hype and, and ignore all the stuff that's kind of hard to explain. And, and uh, we just want to say, maybe we want to say just what people we think people might want to hear. Usually being sent just simply means living out our life with God in front of others. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live out my relationship with God and I'm going to let you see it. We're not necessarily here to be PR agents for God. We're not here to be God's sales force. Uh, there, there's no heavenly commission for every soul that we get to pass through the pearly gates, right? We're, we're not, we're not uh, signing people on, giving them an offer they can't refuse. Um, although they shouldn't refuse it, right? It's the best news in all the world. But, but, but it, we're, we're not really a sales force. Uh, you know, nobody wants to, to, to get or to, or to give, for that matter, a high-pressure sales pitch. Memorize presentations and slick stories and uh, using Christian language. I mean, uh, it's not nearly as effective as just genuinely sharing life, sharing the story of how you have been living life with God and how that might make a difference in someone else's life. We're not God's marketing consultants. You don't need to position the Jesus brand in people's minds, so to speak. We are sent into the world as as ourselves, not as spin doctors for Jesus. God has promised uh, to go with us and to give us the words to say, and it needs to be something natural, not forced. We've been sent... Of course, it takes effort to, uh, to, to, to build relationships with others, and we need to be uh, proactive in, in doing that. It would be much easier if God would just send people to us, I think. We can, we can build a building, and uh, we can put up a sign, and then God would just send people to us, and then we could share with them. It's funny, as I read through the Bible, I've never read in the Bible where God called the world to come to church. 
But God has always been calling the church to go to the world. God's plan is to get his news, the good news out. It's not for people to come and see. His plan is that the church would go and be his representatives in the culture where we live. And I think I'm just as guilty as, as anyone else. I think it's so easy for us to, to, uh, to put up a sign and hope that everybody shows up. And why can't we just, that has never been the plan. God said go. He didn't say make a little huddle and hope people, hope people fight their way in. He said go and make disciples. If we do, if we share that good news, if we go from here and we speak up for God and we share him with the wor- in the world where we live, then we'll have beautiful feet. It's, uh, I guess this is the recipe for a divine pedicure. We'll be seen as messengers of good news. I, I remember... Years ago, I was in a seminar, seminar with a bunch of pastors, and, and I don't remember the guy's name that was speaking, and I've probably told you this before, but, but uh, the guy stood up in front of all these pastors, and he said, never dismiss a congregation. Don't worry, you'll, you'll be able to go to lunch, I promise. Stick with me. He said, never dismiss a congregation. He said, if you dismiss something, that means you disregard it. You treat it as unimportant. You treat it as insignificant. He said, never dismiss a congregation. Disperse them. We saw the video at the beginning where, where it, uh, you know, that car is coming around and, and uh, kind of shoots out. It, it, it said that the church is kind of a launching pad, so to speak. That it shoots us out into, the, into our lives every week. Each Sunday we gather in here and we hear the good news uh, and, and, and as we do that, my prayer is that you would personally believe it and that you would declare your allegiance to God, that you would believe it, that you would declare it and then as you go from this place, you would share it as you follow God's lead.